All right. We're starting to count down for me again. All right. Um, how are we doing, guys? Um, this is, um, I don't know what happened this morning, but for the first time, I think I woke up and, uh, you know, I was about to get started on all this, and I thought, man, I'm the preacher of a church. And I told my wife on the way over here, I said, this is kind of intimidating. She said, you're just now figuring that out? And she said, uh, you know, you want me to tell you some other things you should be, you know, I'm like, no, no, I want to stay completely ignorant because, you know, I got up this morning and I had all, I had everything, you know, and I, I like to get up and just go over this over and over, you know, probably like for an hour. It takes a while for me to go over it. So I got up this morning and said, uh, you know, I've just turned the computer on, turn my, you know, open my Bible to where I was going to be. And the Lord said, no. You know, do what you you know do what you normally do through the week. And I said so. I got up and you know I was just gonna read like the first chapter of Ezekiel because that's where I am. You know, reading through the whole Bible, and uh, I ended up reading like eight chapters of Ezekiel and got a ton of sermon ideas. I'm like, wow, you know that was pretty cool. So I said, all right, I'm gonna pray now and you know look over my sermon. So I prayed, you know, everything that was going on. I got up and just looked outside and said, man, that's a beautiful sunset, you know. And immediately the verse came to my mind that said, uh, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day in Genesis chapter 3. And I thought, uh, well, I'm, I'm Adam and he must want me to go out there and walk with him. So, you know, we got what we call the loop. It's about a, probably a little bit less than a mile. And I just walked, man, I was just feeling God and just praying. And, and it was fantastic. So I got back and I said, you know, all right, I'm going to go over my... My stuff now, and then immediately, Jameson gets up, and he wants to play Uno. And so I'm like, well, let's play some Uno. You know, I've never done that before I preached. And then we get up, and we're playing. I got a little broom, and he's got a stuffed cat, and we're playing baseball in the house. And I'm like, I'm not getting to go over this now, my Lord. And he said, nope. You know, so, all right, you know, I'll go preach. I'll do the best I can. And, and, and Tanya's kind of, you know, and shine some light on this and said, you know, he's not going to let you do this in your own ability. He said, this is, you know, this isn't teaching class where, you know, you got to, you know, you got to teach slope intercept y equals mx plus b and you go in there and go, you know, it's not, now that got Tammy excited, I know right there. Um, but, you know, it's like, it's not like that. You know, you got to trust me and you got to come in here and just trust that I will accomplish, you know, what I want to accomplish. And, so, you know, that's where I am. So that's kind of the uniqueness of this morning and, and what's been going on. And, you know, and I was thinking about how God's put all this together and what I've been talking about. I've been talking about experience in Him. I mean, that's where we started, you know. And, and I got a fresh, you know, experience of Him. And I think people started experiencing Him. And then we kind of moved into fighting, you know. In the springtimes, kings go out to war. And I heard a lot of people, you know, I've heard people come up here and I've had awesome conversations about how they've, people have said they, they were checked out. That they just kind of were just going through the motion, showing up to church, and just checked out spiritually. And now they're back in the game and they're saying... Things like, now there's a hunger inside of my heart, and I want to follow God, and I want to dive into to His Word. And, you know, then kind of the uh, the Easter season hit, you know, and I was reading, you know, like, what am I going to talk about? And, and I don't think I quite finished the fighting series. 
And this week, and maybe even next week, and uh, I'm going to move right here. I probably can't hear that squeaky board, but it's driving me crazy. Um, but uh, what I kind of keep, keep envisioning is, you know, that maybe the next couple of weeks we're going to um, talk about this idea of fighting um, temptation. And so I was thinking evil is not going to sit idly by while we continue to come in here and get blessed and, you know, and you get men of God getting up, reading that word and praying and, you know, praying for their families and praying for their church. And, you know, it's not like the devil's going to sit back and say, oh, well, look at that. Ain't nothing we can do about that now. Nah, he's, he's going to come. He's going to come at us and he's going to come at us through temptation. So I believe it's very important that we, we take a week, maybe, maybe even next week to, to look at fighting temptations. So before we get started, let me pray for us. Um, Father God, this is an amazing thing that you've allowed me to do, Lord. As I just look around, I think it's so amazing how many pieces of this puzzle uh, at Lifeline Community Church that you that you have. I mean, everybody's got their piece. We got the the person playing, you know, the guitars, the bass, the drums, the people greeting, and the people in Connect Forty, and in the back working with our children, Lord. There's, there's, there's so many things that go on here. And you, you ask us to do our piece. Lord, do it well. Do it as unto you, like we're working for you, not for people, because it's you that we're serving, Lord. And if we can do this with a good heart, we just know that you will reward us one day, for you are a rewarder of people who diligently seek you. And that's my prayer for everybody here, Lord, is that we, we diligently seek you and we begin, we, you just get that hunger inside of us that we just are drawn to you. Our Bibles are like magnets and we want to read your word and we want to memorize your word and we want to do your word, Lord. I know that you're going to change this community through us, but it's going to come through us Doing our part, Lord, figuring out what that piece of our of the puzzle is and, and doing that piece very well so it'll make that, that beautiful picture that everybody, that the world's just attracted to, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that as I speak, that you'll open our hearts, open our minds, our ears and eyes, Lord, that we can see, hear, know, and love you even more when we walk out these doors, Lord. Um, and bless my words, take over this sermon, Lord, and may the Spirit just fill this place and speak to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So guys, um, you know, last week before um, Jesus went to the cross, He went to the garden and He prayed. Remember three times, Father, take this cup from me. I mean, this cup that he was about to drink that was full of our sin um, just so anguished him that three times he goes and says, Lord, Father, let this cup pass from me. But if this is the only way, not my will, but yours be done. And he struggled with this, but we also found out that through that prayer, he resolved, okay, you know, when it's time for the beating, Lord, my heart is ready bring it on and he was able to endure those next nine hours um you know that he would have to endure to pay for my sin and your sin you know but he took care of it back in the garden of gethsemane and so i want to take a look today before jesus began his ministry and before he began um, his ministry 
he went to the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights. And for there, for that period of time, whatever, whatever was in him, you know, that might have leaned toward any kind of worldly desire, he absolutely destroyed it before he went on with his ministry. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 3, in verse 13. And Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. So right before Jesus begins his ministry, he does a couple of things. The first thing he does is he gets baptized. To which we kind of think like John in verse 14. He says, but John tried to deter him, saying... Now, it's, it's always kind of interesting how many times in the Bible people, like, tell Jesus what he needs to do. You know, Peter was kind of like the king of it. You know, he, he said all kinds of things, you know, like, well, it's time for me to crucify. Not so, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. And Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. You're not going to wash my feet. It's like, are you really going to tell Jesus, you know, what he can and can't do? And John's kind of the same way. He's feeling, are you kidding me, Lord? I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me, don't we have this backwards? You know, so in verse 15, he says, um, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, and I don't know if John knew what he was talking about, but he said, okay, <laughs> you know. I think that's kind of the way Jesus usually does it. You know, somebody asks him something, he says something weird that they really don't understand, and he's like... Okay, I'll just walk away from that because I don't know what you, you just talked about. But of course, we know now that he was giving us a picture of what he was about to do over the next three years. Now, he didn't need to be baptized to say, oh, down with the old life and up with the new, and I'm going to continue on until I die and be resurrected with him. It wasn't a picture of baptism like we do it. It was more of a picture of what he was about to do. Yes, he was about to be dead. He was going, he would go down in the water. And yes, he, God in the flesh would die. And he would come up out of the water. And he would be resurrected. So it was a picture of what he was about to do. So he says, let, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this. Because I'm about to show you. This is a small picture of the next three years of my ministry. What I'm going to do. I must be dead and buried, but I will be raised back to life. And so John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And as I got to thinking about this, I thought about my own baptism. Uh, and I got uh, baptized about four or five years after I got saved. Um, and I remember just uh, everything that kind of surrounded. I was at Salem Baptist Church and guy named Preacher Vaughn uh, baptized me. He's, he's dead now, but uh, man, he was a fantastic man of God. He really um, worked in my um, heart, in my life, and you know, showed some things to me. But he ended up uh, baptizing me, and um, I talked to Tanya, and she, she told me about her baptism in Seneca, which was, which was really kind of cool. And I want you to think about you know, your own baptism. Um, you know, when did that happen for you, and you know, what kind of were the circumstances around that, because I'd like to do a baptism um, service, you know, as, uh, over the next few months. Um, you know, I don't know how y'all do it or how, you know, we, we do it. Uh, 
Uh, but I would love for that to happen. And even if, uh, you know, even if maybe you did that at an early age and you kind of didn't understand, you know, if you have a new fire in your heart, you know, to serve the Lord and you want to be baptized, you know, even if it, if it is again, you know, I, I talked to a kid at Salem one time, uh, who I asked him if he was saved. And, um, he said, well, I got baptized uh, four years ago. I said, well, when did you get saved? He's like, well, I, I thought that was being uh, saved. I'm like, well, now it represents that you've been saved. I said, but when, have you, when did you get down on your knees or when did you ask Jesus into your heart and, you know, to save you? And he's like, I don't, I don't think I've ever done that. And so, you know, we took care of that. Uh, ended up being the very next day at church and he prayed to receive the Lord and he got it. And then when we explain baptism, now that you're saved, man, let's let the old person go down in that water. Come up brand new and clean and go forward with your life, your new life in Christ. Because if any man be in Christ, the old things drown, old things pass away, and all things become new. So if you, you know, feel like maybe you didn't kind of understand, I don't see anything wrong with being baptized that second time just to tell the world, listen, hey, I'm, the old is gone, and the new is here, and from this day forward, I will honor Him to the absolute best of my ability. I choose Him. And I remember also when I came out of that water that it was a lot like this. Uh, and and I, I knew this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on Him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son. And I will never forget, I still have that picture at Salem Baptist Church. And when you came up out of the baptism pool, it was very bright and very, you know, lit up, you know. And I'm sure I'd been looking down the whole time, but I had, he took me down and he, he brought me up out of the water. And I remember just that clean, cool, fresh feeling. I mean, I felt brand new and the lights were so bright and it gave me kind of this picture right here and I didn't I didn't hear God in my audible voice but I I heard him just I, this verse immediately came to mind this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and see here's the cool part I hadn't done anything I hadn't told anybody about the Lord. I'd just kind of gotten started. I hadn't done anything. And even Jesus up to this point, He hadn't performed any miracles that we know of. He may have. But He hasn't really done any of the things yet that after this point that we know a lot about because people recorded it. He was pleased with Him before He did any of the miracles, before he was in ministry, before he went out there to show the world who God was, he was pleased with them already. And so what happens now is just amazing, okay? Because So Jesus is baptized. He's ready to go out into the world. So you think the devil is just going to let that happen? All right, go on out there and do your ministry and save all these people, you know? I'll leave you alone. No, because Matthew chapter 4 it's coming. And in verse 1, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. All of us will have the wilderness experience. So it, it usually starts with, oh man, I am clean, I am forgiven, I am ready to conquer the world 
for Jesus, but then it's time to go back to work, or it's time to go back and just do regular life. But the Spirit took Him into the wilderness, and the Spirit will always take you to a place to test your conversion, to see if it is genuine or not, to see how you react in the in the world with that newness of life that you have. The Spirit does that. It takes you into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I have a little sermon I've been trying to put together about the wilderness, you know, because Jesus was here 40 days and 40 nights, and, you know, the, the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years, and there's all kinds of little wilderness experiences that, that could relate to each and every one of us, and I think I'll probably do a, a sermon on that. But for now, Jesus went out there and he fasted. He went to the desert, the wilderness, and he fasted. And, you know, I don't know about you. I know a lot of us chose to do the fast. Some of you have told me about it. Some of you may have decided back in January that you were going to fast, but you haven't fasted yet. And, you know, if you're doing the Daniel fast right now, is a good time to do it, you know, with the vegetables and everything that's going to be coming out. Please still keep your commitment to do that if you decided to do that back in January. And pray for this church. Pray for your family. Pray for your heart so that you will begin to go after Because that's what fasting does. Is fasting just empties you of you. And the tempter, this, this verse 3, is... I can't believe how much stuff is in verse 3. We're going we're gonna to finish. This is the verse that there's so much packed in here. And we're going to, if, if you kind of, I think we underestimate the devil. I think there's a danger in overestimating him. And there's a danger in underestimating him. Um, but this is how good the devil is at what he does. And I'm pretty much going to stay on this first temptation because it's the one that gets most People. It's the one that destroys most Christians who say, Lord, forgive me, come into my heart, I'm going to start following you. So, the first thing we see, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The tempter came to him when? When did he come to him? He came to him after he had been fasted. And of course, you know, I like where it says afterwards he was hungry. Well, duh, he'd been fasting 40 days. Of course he was hungry. And so the tempter comes to him when Jesus is probably at his weakest point, the weakest he has ever been. And when I think about the lion, uh, the devil, how he's a lion stalking about, seeking whom he may devour, which animal does the lion usually get i can't think of that movie that we went to see but uh you know the the had all the animals and stuff and and how the the hyenas you know would go after and who did they usually got they usually got the weakest animal it was the one that had just been recently injured in a fight or it was the one that was lame or the one that was sick that just wasn't quite as as sharp that was the meal for the day it was always the weakest one so satan really is the lion who roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and he's coming after the weaklings he want you know like okay I've got, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of them out there. Which one of them's the weakest? Which one can I sneak up on? Which one can I devour? So he comes at Jesus thinking that Jesus 
is weak. And this is one of the best things about fasting is that you bring that weakness upon yourself. Yes, my attitude changes horribly when I don't get to eat my foods. Okay, and yes, you know, it gets tougher and, you know, you feel weaker, but you bring that weakness on yourself and then say, whatever is thrown at me, I will conquer it. It's just a, instead of being sick because of circumstances that, that come at you anyway, you bring it upon yourself because, yes, three days into a fast, man, my headache is just pounding, but I bring that on myself and say, I'm still going to praise the Lord. I'm still going to get through this. And on the other side, you come out better, more ready to conquer temptation and to conquer whatever it is that you have to do. So he came at him when he was weak. And in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, this is how he go, the, the devil gets most Christians right out of the gate. He finds their weakness, okay? And here are the weaknesses listed right here that covers just about everything that we could experience. Sexual, the acts of the flesh are obvious. It is very obvious when somebody is living after their sinful nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, okay? The only one I didn't know was debauchery, and that's extreme indulgence and sensual activity whatever you can get your hands on to feel good or to satisfy that sexual appetite he's coming after you with that and it gets most people okay and i listen i can tell you how this worked for me because this man that this happened before i was saved i was saved at 16 but when i was 12 years old me and one of my friends were at a at somebody's house, and we saw like they had this little locked cabinet, and you know just in playing around or something, we saw a key, and he said, "Hey, key looks like it unlocks that cabinet," and so we went in there and we checked it out, and we opened it up, and we found a porno collection like you would not believe. I was twelve years old, my buddy was eleven, and uh, you know we sit there, and for the first time, you know. We put those movies in, and the just, just what happened to me is just, I mean, it, it felt just so wrong. I mean, what I know now was evil. It just felt cra and, and crazy. It was just the weirdest thing as we sit there and watch these things, and I was exposed to that for the very first time. And, you know, looking back now and then talking to my buddy, you know, like, I wanted to turn it off but didn't want to ask him to turn it off, but, and he wanted to turn it off and didn't want to ask me to turn it off. So we sit there, and I know now, now looking back, that the devil just grabbed his claws, the demons, and I mean, they sunk so deep into my heart and mind, I was sexually immoral, and I look back at that and how that led into the dumbest decisions that I made sexually through my high school and early college years and all that stuff, and just how impure I was. And guys, this lasted for 18 years. I was 30 years old, 
And I remember, you know, those, those images were just kind of burned in my mind. And I was reading um, in, at Golden Corner while Ronnie Hodge was preaching. I was reading Ezekiel, and I was just trying to finish, which is interesting. I just thought that I read Ezekiel this morning, eight chapters of it. But anyway, back then, um, I was reading Ezekiel 23, and that's like a, that's like a very pornographic chapter, okay? I know all you teenagers are like, Ezekiel 23, we've got to write that down. Um, or at least that's probably what I would have been doing. But anyway, um, it's a, it's a very, and it's, and it's about these two sisters who are looking back on the day when they were prostitutes and, um, but they were like longing for it. And I remember telling God, I said, Lord, I don't long for this anymore. I long for you to take this away. I'm sorry for all those years that I disappointed you looking at all this trash and going down this road. I'm sorry. And the Lord spoke to me, and I'm feeling God thinking about this to this day. He said, I'm taking that away. And from those images that were burned in my mind from 12 years old, they they came to my mind, and I just watched them dissolve one by one, sitting there in church. And to this day, if one even attempts to pop back into my mind, I just all I can see is the, about halfway through the dissolving process, and it goes into nothing. He took that sexual impurity and immorality away from me and when I was 30 years old. So this is, I've only been like totally free from this for about eight years. Years, but that was so ingrained in my heart that after I got saved, I was still living after that flat flesh. But I waged war against this, and this is where you have to be. I know in a crowd like this that there's some men that are still struggling with that trash, but all I ask you to do is keep struggling with it. Don't ever accept that sexual immorality is going to ruin your relationship with Christ. Keep bringing it to the cross. Keep praying against this stuff. Keep reading the Word. And I promise it may take 18 years like it did with me, but you can be free from this trash. You can, I promise. But And I can't tell you how it destroys churches and how it destroys marriages and how it destroys family. I see it over and over. It seems like anytime somebody wants to come and talk to me about their relationship, you know, with God and how it's not going like they want it to, it has something to do with sexual immorality. Now, if that doesn't get you a look, it goes to idolatry and witchcraft. And to me, these are the things that just an idle mind gra- gravitates Towards, because idolatry is image worship. And I talked a little bit last week how we, how we sit there and we, we're playing these games all the time and looking at on the computer all the time and how we're looking at our phones all the time for hours a day. And all we do is look at these images. And to me, I think it can become image worship which is why you need to turn that stuff off every once in a while and just don't let your heart gravitate toward it. Witchcraft, you've heard me say this for the third time, that that comes from the word pharmakia, which is where we get the word pharmaceuticals, and any kind of drugs that we use. I, I heard a teacher talking to some kids the other day who were talking about marijuana use and all that, and you know they were just like, oh, you know, you should try this, man, you should try this. And he's like, why would I want to try this? Well, it makes you feel good, man. He says, I feel good right now. He says, but it makes you relax, man. He's like, I'm relaxed 
right now. He's like, it just makes everything so peaceful, man, and you just kind of zone out. He's like, I'm at peace right now, and I don't want to zone out right now. Why would I even want that? But those are things that idle minds gravitate toward. And the devil's going to try to get you with that. Of course he's going to make this sound boring and uninteresting. And he's going to make that other stuff look attractive because he wants you to gravitate toward that other stuff because that other stuff is meaningless. These are the words to life. Read them. Meditate on them. Burn them into your heart and mind. So, thy word have I hid my heart. Why? that I might not sin against you, Lord. That's why I want to hide these words into my heart. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Discord is just lack of agreement or harmony. How do you react when other people uh, make you mad? And guys, this is going to happen all the time. I mean, somebody is coming after, you know, and, and they want to see how you react. And if you tend to blow up and cuss and plow off the handle, there's got to be a difference in how a Christian reacts to that kind of stuff and how the world reacts to that. you got selfish ambition, dissensions, which is just difference of opinions, factions. Factions are groups that just want to argue all the time. Envy. And this, this is kind of like, well, how are you going to get where you want to get in life? Well, according to this, I'll do whatever I have to do to get what I want. I'll argue however I need to do. I'll get in whatever group I need to get in. I'll tear down whoever I need to tear down. But I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get what I want. And the devil loves people who are like this, especially people like this who call themselves Christians because when the world looks on them, they say, if that's the way Christians are, why would I want to be one? They're no different than me. They don't behave any different than me. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I like how he just put in and the like, because this is not meant to be some exhaustive list. Things like that. If you're going to participate, and and you can just see how the, the devil is using all these movies to make people gravitate toward this. You know, they never make drunkenness and orgies look like, you know, that's just awful. You want to stay away from that. They make it look attractive. And they get people talking about it and saying, hey, let's throw a party like this. Hey, let's do this. But Paul says, I'll warn you, as I have before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's not saying, thank God, that if you've ever done any of this, that you're doomed, that you're going to hell, it's over. No, if you live like this, this is the way I am, this is the way what I have, this is the way I've done it my whole life, and I'm not going to change. If that's your attitude toward any of those things, I just read, it's very clear, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Do I still struggle with some of these things? Yes, of course I do. But I've not decided that I'm going to stay that way. Okay? Yeah, I get angry if somebody does me wrong. Yes, I get very angry and I, my heart just wants to go off and blow up. But I don't. And I hate that that's still inside me, but it is. 
But the more I make the right choices and wage war against these acts of the flesh, the more my heart will change and the more my desires will change into what God wants them to be. So he came at Jesus at a time when he was hungry. Okay? He comes at us in a time and whatever those desires come in, when we're lonely, he'll, he'll throw this temptation at you. Okay, when you feel like no, nobody cares, he'll throw this temptation at you. So Jesus has had to, Jesus had to do with, with hunger. Ours has to do with these fleshly, uh, fleshly desires. Now, back to Matthew 4, 3. So the tempter came at a time when uh, he was weak. He comes at us at a time when we're weak. And look what he says. If you are the Son of God. Okay, that's all he says. Now, look back at Matthew three seventeen, And I want you to look at what God actually said to him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son. Okay, that's the part. And that's the only part that, that, that Satan took. Whom I love, I love him. And with him, I am pleased with him. Now, the only part that, that Satan took from that was the son part. He says, if you are the Son of God, so go back to uh, Matthew chapter 4, if you are the Son of God. Now why didn't he say, if you are the Son of God, and God really does love you, you know, so he, he, he left out the love part. And so, this is a temptation right here in itself. How many of you have ever doubted, after you've got saved, if God really loves you or not? Me too. More times than I like to count. But if we can just burn in our minds the words of 1 John chapter 3, what love the Father has lavished on us that we might be called sons and daughters of God. If you've been saved, you are His kid and there is no if. And don't let the devil come at you and try to say, if you really were saved, if you really are God's kids, because He's coming after you like that. And if He can break your weakness down, then He can put these other kinds of temptations on you. There's no if in all this. If you are the Son of God, I am. How do you know? God told me. He told me in the last verse that He loves me and He is already pleased with me and I'm not going to let you do what you did in the garden back with back in Adam and Eve and let, let you bring doubt upon their minds and let me do something that destroys my relationship with my Father. There is no if. So he came at him at a time when he was weak. And then he tried to make him doubt if he really was the Son of God. And God loved him and was pleased with him. This is what the tempter does. Look at how much was just in that little bit. And then the last part. Tell these stones to become bread. Tell the stones to become bread. When you see the word stones in the Bible, I want you to think about the law. The Ten Commandments, the Big Ten. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud, and the deep darkness. And He added nothing more. He didn't add anything to the Word. He gave the Ten Commandments and then He wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them... To me, So he wrote the words 
on the stone tablets. Back to Matthew chapter 4. Tell these stones to become bread. And this is one of the greatest temptations for, for Christians. I lived here for years. It's just become a good rule keeper. Just keep the rules. And let that be what sustains you. But what the Pharisees had done, and this is why he got, I think, so angry with them, is he, they took those ten rules and noticed that God didn't add anything to them. But they added all kinds of certain rules. They added new little rules to keep the big rules. You know, like, um, there's, there's several examples. Jesus would go and, and heal somebody. Let a blind man receive his sight. And then the Pharisees said, well, you're not from God because you did this on the Sabbath and we don't do any work on the Sabbath. And see, they, they made these little rules. And I think what the temptation here was for Jesus is, hey, just, just keep all these rules. Just do what you think, God. Just try to be a good person. And if you ask most people why they're saved or why they're going to heaven, well, I'm a good person. I, I make my good outweighs my bad. And, and that's not even close to what it really is. So the temptation here, tell these stones to become bread. Just, just live by the rules. That's all. You know, don't, you know, no listening to God, no studying, no meditating, no praying. Just, just, just follow the rules. If you're a good rule keeper, you'll be alright. And so what he's asking him to do is feel his desire with, in a matter that, that's not pleasing to God. Feel that desire. So look at the response in Matthew chapter 4 forwards. The band's already coming up, so I guess they knew. Um, Jesus answered, It is written. If you are going to fight temptation, you got to know this word. You don't live by your feelings and what you gravitate toward you don't live by that you live by the words of this book you may feel like oh yeah i'm going to go ahead i'm going to satisfy this desire this way because everything in me wants to you know like when you hear those stories well well i'm going to leave my wife i believe god brought this other woman into my life and hey if i if i just join up with her i think that's really god bringing her into my life so i'm going to divorce my first wife and i'm going to take this new one it is written thou shalt not commit adultery it is written love your wife well i don't really feel like loving her it is written love your wife and he says Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You don't live by just satisfying your desires temporarily. Because the thing about even the bread, if he had made it, well, he would have been hungry again and he would have needed more. You don't live like that. You live on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And I'm going to end with this. A band can go ahead and come set up if y'all are, uh, if y'all are ready. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. And, uh, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. So they had been roaming around. They're finally about to get to go into the promised land. Why did He have them go into the wilderness? To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. 
You know, being tested in the wilderness and, and having these desires brought upon you to see how you deal with them. To see if you go, oh, well, this is what I feel. It just feels right, so I'm going to do it. Or if you say, no, it is written. It's written in here, and I'm not going to do this. And devil, fine chance, but you're not getting me. Not today. Today, I win. Today, I win because it is written. He will test you in order to know what's in your heart, whether or not you'll keep His commands. You know, when that temptation comes out, are you going to keep His commands? What are you going to do? He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. Yes, He gave you that temporary bread, which neither you nor your ancestors had ever known, to teach you, here it is, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word. That comes from the mouth of the Lord. He knew this. Jesus knew that story in the Bible. He knew what happened to them after 40 years. He knew all the complaining that they did. He knew everything that it took to get them there. And here Jesus had been doing this for 40 days. And uh, he says, no, it ends here. Yes, Devil, you might have got them back then and made this last 40 years back then by, by feeding their hunger and their desire with, you know, with just your words and your getting them to talk about Moses and getting them to talk about God and talk about how he, you don't get that with me. Because I'm not going to live by bread alone. I'm going to live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. May we do the same today. Thanks.